Hello and welcome to Makers.dev, episode number 121. Chris, did you know that 121 is 11 squared? I did. Did you, Do you know the trick for multiplying any two-digit number by 11? Uh, I, I used to. Uh, I, I would multiply by 10 and add this, that, that number. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that would also work. The trick that I know that I'm going to make you <laughs> relearn is you take the number, whatever the number is, and you split it. And then you add those two numbers together in the middle, and then that's the number. So multiplying 11 by 11, you split 11, so you got one on the left and one on the right, and a space in the middle. And then you add one and one, and that makes two. But that works for any number. If we said like, you know, 32, you split 32, so we have three blank two, and then you add three and two in the middle, and you get five, so it's three, five, two. What about 132? It only works for two-digit numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. There's another method for three-digit numbers, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, add a zero and add the number to itself. That's what. That's yeah, what I, that would also. <laughs> yeah, that your your method is much more general. That, that makes a lot more sense. Um, cool. How are you? Nice. Was, nice tip. Yeah. Nice tip. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Trying to make it more practical. Yeah. We, uh, probably probably uh, not. Still not engaging enough for most of our <laughs> listeners, but you know what. Maybe this podcast is just for maybe it's just for me and you. Maybe, maybe we right. don't we don't care about engagement. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, anyway, I, I I'm doing all right. We um, <clears throat> my wife and I are planning a trip to Iceland. Uh, this year was our 15th wedding anniversary, and uh, it's also her sister's 15th wedding anniversary. And so we are the four of us are going going to drive around the the country. It takes about 17 hours. We're doing it over like nine days or something uh no kids should be great that sounds awesome I, yeah I, I would say it sounds cool but uh yeah uh, <laughs> the fun would be indented <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah um anyway so as part of that i have been researching camera gear which is one but one of my favorite hobbies is to research camera gear <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah uh i bought an action camera for it also um, Ooh, like which what, one? the insta insta 360 the 361 cool. um so we'll see that should be fun. It's also like generally, I I want to take more videos of my kids. Like we do short iPhone videos, but it would be it. It seems like a very unobtrusive way to take you know family videos because you just kind of clip it somewhere and it just does it, and then you you know figure it out later. So yep. figure out the fo the folk like the uh, what am I trying to say? Which direction it's pointing <laughs> later? Yes, yes. And also the field um, of view, you can change. Hmm. It's like a it's like a dynamic. Uh, like you can make it a fisheye lens or you can make it a, a more right. zoomed in lens. Yeah. I feel like recording 360 video is probably the most feature proof way right now of recording memories. Like in the olden times when people had the old cameras and it was, it was very strange to have a video camera that, that old footage that's video footage is now precious. Like my mom's entire childhood was recorded on this eight millimeter. Like I, I think that, I think the camera style was one of the ones where you roll it, but I'm, I'm not actually, they had like, they had batteries. So yeah. it might not have been, but, uh, you know, her, her entire childhood only has something like two or three hours of video recorded of it. My kids are going to have like their entire child, like maybe <laughs> right. except for when they're sleeping, unless I save the nanny cam footage, uh, <laughs> they, they could like relive their entire childhood. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's particularly cool to be recording things now in what's probably going to be the future format of those videos i could imagine future people with their apple vision pros watching regular iphone recorded videos and that feels very outdated and, and old and in the same way that watching black and white video now at, at a lower frame rate feels old but then when they watch a 360 video they'll be like whoa this is cool this is like more of a modern format but how strange that it's depicting a time that's uh way further in the past so yeah cool yeah so that's that's basically what I've been doing. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, I've been doing work stuff. Kaggle hasn't released any new competitions yet, so I'm sort of waiting for those. I, I have been working a little bit on the American Sign Language one, but there's you have to make it a TensorFlow light model that's less than 40 megabytes, hmm. um, so that it can run on like a phone, and that adds enough friction that it makes it a pretty weird competition to work on for hmm. me. So yeah, I might just wait for the next ones to come out. Okay. Yeah, other than that, I've had a relatively chill week. Yeah. Chill. 
what's the status of the master's program is are you taking the summer it's, off or yeah summer off till next fall yeah okay the they're they only offer they offer very limited selection of classes in the summer and they only offer three and i've taken all three so gotcha. uh, yeah what, what i should have done i think i said this before uh you can have up to two classes that you take at another university mm. uh, apply towards your degree and there's a few that are like um are like pre-qualified basically of online mm. ones and uh you take those pass fail so mm. it seems like a lot less work because i only yeah, need yeah. like a c or something um and then it just comes over pass fail so i should have done that but i didn't realize in time so mm. that's right cool yeah i could imagine the the min max strategy for that being that you take those you take the hardest classes at another university and then they're just well, pass fail yeah well they can be anything they're, they're it's basically all electives yeah okay they, it, you can't take a required class at another university the required okay. classes you have to take at ut austin or online yeah okay okay i see uh, yeah, i'm reminded of uh in college i was astounded that some of the people i talked to I, I think i had a really good advisor and i was also not afraid of taking like 23 hours a semester so mm, that's a lot, i was that's able to yeah yeah but like i graduated on time with a bunch of extra classes and had a bunch of time to do like extracurricular and or uh, not extra uh, electives and I saw people going through the same sort of program that were making mistakes that felt pretty trivial. Like it was mm. it, it, the sort of thing you're describing of like, do I take this class or this class first? That ended up costing them another semester at the at the end of it or worse. And if you mix into that, that they're taking, they're trying to take the minimal number of hours. So it's, it's extra important that they're doing this efficiently and they're failing some classes. So like that kind of throws everything up in the air and, and makes it much harder. Like this, this very expensive process of getting a degree becomes so, so the cost of mistakes is much higher, it becomes exponentially more expensive. And I'm not convinced that the motivation of a guidance counselor is for the student. I could like that the guidance counselor works for the university. If the guidance counselor is creating additional semesters where students are attending the university, that's good for the university. The incentive for the guidance counselor is kind of to be a bad guidance counselor and not teach you the most effective, uh, efficient way to, to go through the program. Um, yeah, it just maybe if I, you're maybe if you're a bad guidance counselor, but okay, <laughs> like ours were our academic advisors were all professors, and like you could rate them, and so if they gave you bad advice, like that mm. was very bad for them. So in that way, they were very much aligned to uh, give you the best advice they could. Um, but a lot of the advice was, here is a you know spreadsheet that that this is the plan that we think you should follow. If you mm. have any questions, ask me, mm. and like they wouldn't go out of their way to make sure every student was doing the optimal thing. Like it was your job as a student to make sure that you were doing the right thing, but you could always go to office hours and they were more than willing to, you know, help you figure out what the optimal thing was, but it was all up to the student. Hmm. So yeah, you got to learn to be an adult basically and hmm. keep track of your own, you know, progress and, and yeah, options. In that sense, I guess it's useful in the same way that university is useful for preparing you for the real world. This is the first set of decisions that you have autonomy over that have real consequences and in the scale of life the i guess the consequences are still like it's more it's more responsibility than you ever had in undergrad but it's still less than you'll have in real life like the the choice of which classes to take in which order are going to have a smaller impact on your life than which job do you accept which yeah. which but, state do you move to right there's also in colleges, it's also very easy to accidentally get into bad situations, especially mm. like the one I'm thinking of is if you want to switch majors, there's mm. often like a semester, a cutoff semester where you switch from like general required and elective classes to very major specific ones. And if you just sort of go with the flow and then decide later that you want to switch, you basically waste entire semesters. Mm. And so like if you know kind of what that cutoff semester is, that where all of those classes will still apply to other majors, then you can make more decisions earlier. So like yeah, there are, there are proactive ways that, that guidance counselors could be helping. Like say, you know, if you want to switch majors, you better do it before the third semester or else you, whatever, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm reminded of an essay by Derek Sivers that's included in his book, Anything You Want, called The Standard Paces for Chumps. It talks about the story of, he, he was about to attend uh, Berkeley for music and he ran into a professor who was either a current professor at Berkeley or, or a retired professor and he was telling the professor, oh, yeah, I'm about to go to Berkeley. And the professor said, you know, 
if you know what you're doing, you could get through the four-year plan in under two years. And Derek Severs was like, really? Could you could you teach me how to do that? And the professor was like, yeah, show up at my house at 7 a.m. On, on Monday. And Derek was like, okay. And he went to his house and knocked on his door at 7 a.m. And the professor was like, oh, hi. And apparently, the professor had like extended this offer to a few people in the past and no one had actually taken him up on it. But then what what the professor did was basically just give him this fire hose of information as quickly as Derek was able to pick it up that covered basically the first two years of the curriculum at Berkeley and he was able to cover it in, in just a few months um, like rigorously taking notes and like keeping track of stuff as fast as he could and uh, getting getting the information streamlined for Derek from this professor that, that could sense where Derek was in, in his level of, uh, of learning but the the meta lesson that Derek learned from that is if you know where you're going you can get there much faster if you have a direction of like you know i'm trying to complete this program uh, the 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 standard accepted pace of how long it takes to get there is designed for people who are just kind of stumbling along and, and aren't trying to get there as quickly as possible but if you have any sort of uh self-directed ambition of actually wanting to get there you you can sort of throw the standard timeline out the window and and get there as fast as you want um and i think about that a lot yeah there's a couple interesting things to say about that one is uh that will either work very well for people or they will completely burn them out and you won't know which it is until you're through it <laughs> uh and so yeah i can imagine people following that advice and like getting to the end and being completely burned out um so that's something interesting yeah uh, the other interesting thing specifically about college is that advice applies to you if you're going to college to get a degree in order to you know get a job or whatever Often, what the purpose of college, uh, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone famous was saying this, uh, is not to do that, but instead it's to be an adult for four years with no responsibilities. Mm. It's like you're alert, you're switching from high school to adulthood. Uh, going to college is a perfect excuse to not have real responsibilities, real world responsibilities. Uh, and so if you cut that short, then you basically cut, you, you know, you're self sabotaging this time to not yeah. have real responsibilities short. Um, yeah. Now, for some people, yeah. Some, some people really want to get started. So, sure, do that. Uh, but also, don't feel too bad if you uh, don't. I In my college career, I went really hard early. And so my last, I think maybe the entire year, I only took three classes a semester and one was senior project. That mm. was an amazing year. <laughs> like, yes, I probably could have smushed it all into the year before that or something like that. But I had a great senior year because yeah. like, <laughs> I was taking, you know, electives and only two of them really per, per semester plus senior project. So I think that's totally fine, too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And uh, the, the backdrop of this is, you know, the, the pace, the pace that you're moving at is the correct pace there. I, I choose to be fatalistic about the past. So mm. like the, the way that things have happened is the only way they could have happened. It's the way they were sure. supposed to happen. So yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, it's equally a mistake to try to judge yourself for not going fast enough. Uh, I think that the core thing is if you'd like something different than what's happening, that there are options available to you to, to change the future, but you, you can't change the past. Um, I, I also like the idea of college as a sort of initiation ritual that it's a rite of passage in our society. I think that's the closest thing we have in, in nomadic mm -hmm. cultures. They'll do things like, ah, you know, you're, you're a young boy. You're going to come out and hunt with us and you're going to kill a tiger. And that's, what's going to mark your, uh, uh, ascent into adulthood. You, you've passed from being a child to being an adult. And what we have in Western culture is you go to college. It's a, it's a nice, easy four year ramp of like, I like that framing of that. You're an adult with no responsibilities. Yeah. But you, you gotta, you're, you're incrementally taking on those responsibilities. Um, and then that's your transition into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. So I could say cutting that short would be suboptimal holistically that part of the value of that is that it, it is a four year ramp to be able to adjust to adult life. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's what I did this week. <laughs> cool. <laughs> which is not very much. Uh, yeah. How about you? you I, probably I wanted to say one more thing things. about the, the oh, 360 cool. camera, which is have you, oh, yeah. ex have you experienced, you have an Oculus also? Yeah. Have you experienced watching 360 video in the Oculus? Yeah. So my kids and I did, uh, there's like a deep sea one and there's, I think the ISS, this in space had one. Yeah. So we did those, but we haven't done, oh, maybe we also did like the Mayan temples, something like that. So we've done a few. Yeah. Have you done any of videos that you've recorded? No. It's wild. <laughs> it's as close as possible to B 
being able to relive a memory and feeling mm. like you're actually there because you can see things that you didn't see when you were there you right. and you have autonomy of you can't like move around on the on the x y z plane but you can you can rotate in any direction you want and one of the first trips i did this for seriously was this climbing trip i took in mexico with uh, my friend luke and I was able to like when I got back from the trip, I was able to to replay it for my wife and and for my family, and like they now have memories of being <laughs> on that trip with me. Like yeah. they got to they got to feel what it was like and and see this drop off of this cliff of exactly how up how high up I was. And you know, the, watch watching them rewatch the video was so funny because there there were like moments in the video where they all had the same sort of reaction, like. You know, they're they're here watching me on the cliff, and then they look down, and then they're like, "Oh my God, you're so high up!" <laughs> yeah. And then they look back up and say, "Oh my God, you're only, you're only connected by this this thin little strip of dynamo. What are you doing?" And then they look out and they're like, "Oh wow, it's actually beautiful. I see why you do this." Um, but it's a it's a very different experience than, uh, you know, watching it on a tiny phone screen or even watching it on a on a tiny, uh, uh relatively gigantic eighty inch TV screen. It's it's not just that one thing. It's your entire field of view, you you feel like you're transported. So a 360 camera combined with a VR headset, I feel like is this killer combination of there's, there's uh, I hate this word, but there's like synergy there if that you're able to accomplish uh, uh, effectively, you know, memory capture and, and replaying experiences, uh, how you live them, which I think is really cool. I'm excited for you to be able to capture Reykjavik in Reykjavik or, or Iceland. I, I imagine you're flying into Reykjavik, wherever you're going in Iceland, uh, <laughs> I, I think it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, basically everyone flies in it. Well, they call it Reykjavik, it's actually south um Kef, Keflavik airport yeah anyway and then drive we're driving around the whole thing so um yeah that's cool i so i anticipated being able to pan around and stuff and making whatever film i wanted but i didn't even think about vr experience uh which is cool so now i'm even more excited yeah we, cool. we were talking just before this about so i'm looking at all this photography gear and i'm like why why even bother like every <laughs> bit of iceland has been captured a million times sure by every photographer ever uh but it's different i think especially like you know, having action cam above all of us while we're hiking or something, uh, I think will be a very neat thing. So, yeah, it's not like if the goal of going to Reykjavik was to see what it looks like, you wouldn't need to fly there. You could just watch YouTube videos or watch 360 video that, that someone else had already done. Yeah. I, I, for the, the purpose of travel for me is like to go through the experience for after having gone through travel, I feel changed as a person. I feel like putting myself in unfamiliar environments and, and uncomfortable situations like stresses me in ways that help me grow as a person. And then the, the purpose of capturing that for me is like, it's not, it's not the picture that I took of the Eiffel tower. It's that that picture is now a, a totem for me of like, Oh, I can, I can be transported back to, you know, here's where I was in my life and here's what I was thinking and feeling. And, uh, you know, during that day, here, here's what I was doing. And, uh, it's, it's, it becomes memorable and, cumulatively the my life becomes richer because of more of the those sorts of memories that i'm able to make and more of those connections and then because i have that fresh i can i can like make comparisons and better make stories and say oh you know this this problem i have in building my company is just like the time i was in uh iceland and was trying to climb up the mountain and ah let me let me like revisit that exact memory and ah here i am transported um yeah the, this is the lesson that i learned here and now i can apply it uh in this new situation so yeah that's that's how i frame it yeah yeah, cool. I, I was recently going through some old photos and some of my favorite ones I've taken are actually, they're not of, you know, big thing, big sightseeing things or even of people, although the people ones are nice, but it's like small little, uh, just memories, I guess, you know, uh, like, like little, little things, um, little objects or something that remind me of whatever. Uh, yeah. So under underrated thing to do on vacation, hmm. take photos of small detailed things, I think. I like it. What did I get to this last week? I yeah. have one, two, three, sort of, and then five, five, five things I want to cover. Cool. The first one is a update on file inbox. I proudly announced in the last episode that I had finished the Google Drive integration. I, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> I had not finished the Google Drive integration. <laughs> uh, several things broke later that day, and I spent like the next day and a half ish fixing those. But now. Now it's finished. <laughs> Excellent. And it's nice and it's all buttoned up. And in the process of it, I realized that Google changed the way that they handle serverless functions underneath me. And so th there were some bugs introduced by that when I tried to micro it over, but those are fixed now. And I actually like the new system better. Um, and it's it has higher capacity, like the, the functions can have more memory and they can run for longer. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's done. And then I started working on theming, which is the next thing on my to-do list. And I am loving it. Like I am, I feel like I'm scratching this itch that I've had for so long of feeling frustrated and not proud with the current version of File Inbox. And I'm just, I'm just making it so nice. Like something I've wanted forever is a live preview of what your actual form looks like. And then as you're changing the, the uh, colors, it, it's live changing what the actual page looks like. And that was just impossible to do on Rails because the form is rendered as this, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's not a component, it's, it's a page, like an ERB template. Mm -hmm. So to be able to do it, I was playing around with all sorts of like, it's an iframe, but I need to be able to inject JavaScript and then I need some way to like update specific parts of the page. It was just a mess. And added all sorts of complexity if I, if I tried to do anything extra special. And with the new framework, because my upload page is just a component, well, I can include that component in my little template of where the theming is. And then anything I'm changing, because it's just changing this underlying Firebase managed page uh, uh, document, I just get the live updates for free. It just happens. And so like, of course, the colors are gonna automatically update, but then also why not be able to change every piece of text on the page? Like what what the, the send button uh, says. And that's also now fixing this problem that I've had of uh, internationalization. So I had this as a whole separate to do, but I'm, I'm kind of doing both of them at once now because by people being able to change the words on every single part of the page, well, okay, if you want to translate it into Spanish, here's my here's my Spanish pack of like, you can hit this button and, and automatically get the whole page translated into Spanish. Or if you don't like my translations, or if you want to translate it into Icelandic, which I'm not going to have a language pack for, you just type in the text, just any text you want for the button. If you want to, if you want to have it better match your brand, you can do that. Like it solves so many problems all at the same time. And uh, yeah, I'm reminded that I like, I think I lost this thread for a little bit uh, and then sort of got distracted by, uh, I don't want distracted. I started working on uh, the video clipper and mm -hmm. ignored development on, on file inbox for a while. And I feel like I've recaptured that thread on file inbox of feeling really excited about this new development and really building something that I feel really proud of. Like, the the product is really good and <laughs> solves a lot of problems that I used to feel really frustrated with. So that's not done yet. And I don't know how much longer it's going to take. I originally budgeted uh, one, two, three, four days. Oh, and actually, if I finished today, I'd be on target. But uh, I, I'm not going to finish it today. Probably, I don't know, another day or two. So, you know, less than less than the 10 times more time than it took to do the Google Drive yeah. integration, uh, but still a little longer than I was anticipating. So that's that's yeah. my update with File Inbox. I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like uh, this is, like we said, integrations are extremely difficult and hard to predict. Uh, this sound is like, this sounds like much more predictable. And uh, so that's good. And you get internationalization done also. Did you have that budgeted for some amount of time? Yeah, or? I did. How much? I think that was like a day, a day or two. Yeah, so. a day, which I think was <laughs> overly optimistic, but yeah. Yeah, so so if I consider that I'm doing both of those things at the same time, wait, I'm I'm probably totally on track. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah feels great. I also had another call with Asia from Demand Maven mm. about the the higher level business stuff. I thought that was going to be our last meeting. I thought that she was going to deliver the final thing and the roadmap of what I needed to do. She has a ton of stuff going on and she has actual clients who are actually paying her tons of money. <laughs> so uh, I totally understand my stuff gets kicked to the back burner. And actually I prefer it because I think like the longer mm. we're working together, the more value I'm getting out of it. Um, but we did have a fascinating conversation that got recorded as a podcast and I'm not sure yet if, uh, what's going to happen with that. It's probably going to get published in her podcast. Uh, I might talk to you about cross posting all of those or parts of those on this podcast. Um, I think the, the overlap would make sense for this audience. Ah, yeah. I have a question for the audience actually, <laughs> after, after in the beginning saying, I don't care about you. I do care about you. Uh, <laughs> um, if you have an opinion on like where you would like to see those interviews or hear them, if it would make sense for you as like a mini series on this podcast, or if you just want us to link to it uh, on Asia's podcast, I'm just curious your feelings as a listener on that. Uh, it's 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 five roughly hour long conversations that I've had with Asia. That is her consulting process that she usually charges twenty thousand dollars for, and she's she's walking me through how to grow file inbox and asking me questions of trying to figure out what those things are. And you, you can 
hear me in real time have the realizations of the the insights that she's saying and uh yeah it's it's roughly weekly check-ins so if you have an opinion on that please reach out to me or chris uh let us know and that'll inform what we end up doing um so in in that call i did have this realization of it came from this frustration that I've had of like not knowing who to focus on on file inbox as a as a demographic. Um, and Aisha actually gave a talk about this of don't don't niche down, but focus temporarily on a on a particular yeah. niche. But that's still an idea that I've had a lot of trouble with because there's so many different types of people who are using this. It's one of the most recent customer interviews I did was with this professor, and he was using file inbox as a, a replacement for Blackboard, which is this terrible software that all universities use for course management and stuff. But that's a completely different niche, it felt like to me at the time, than loan officers who care about totally different things. And the, the job that I'm doing for them is replacing like loan management software. And that's a totally different job from, you know, a, a photo printer who's using it to replace like Kodak stuff. So we talked a lot about that on the last episode or the last uh, uh, call that I had with her. And she is helping to reframe that for me of like, a niche doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a profession. A niche can be more of a horizontal niche of like a use case. So I can mm. be I can be abstracting and thinking a little bit more generally of like the 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 sort of person who file inboxes for is someone who feels frustrated by collecting files from their clients or customers who because their clients or customers are are very technically unsavvy, so they, they feel like they have to babysit them. And uh, they want to do so getting the files in a secure way that minimizes work on their end. And like that's the, oh, and, and, they, and they are more of a DIY person. Like they, they're more comfortable either themselves or someone more technical within their business is comfortable assembling a, uh, uh, like a no-code uh, DIY solution to uh, problems. And they're, they're the sort of person who doesn't like to use the industry standard software because of how inflexible it is. They like to make their own solution that's a, a better, easier solution, both for them and for the people they're trying to get files from. That describes every good customer on File Inbox. And so like focusing at that layer, Asia's making the case that that might be more useful for me than focusing on just loan officers or just photo printers. Um, because if I'm, if I'm focused at that layer, that's something that benefits everyone. And now I can think about things in terms of, uh, like, I, I don't necessarily care that I have a feature that automatically imports all of your Blackboard student data, but I I can focus the level on, like, white labeling is really important to a lot of people. Uh, so what are, what are features that would make white labeling uh, uh, better? Well, I could have subdomains. I could have... Uh, uh, better embeds. I could have uh, when you save the page to your phone, it's a it's a native mobile app, um, and that's now something that's going to benefit everyone, and doesn't preclude this idea that I can have focused landing pages for each of these verticals, and you know I I I can have my landing page for academics that says, hey, Blackboard sucks. Here's a way that you can use. Uh, file inbox to replace parts of Blackboard and my landing page for loan officers that says, hey, industry standard software sucks. <laughs> here's, a, here's a better way to, to do it. And, you know, your, your, your pain, the way that you're describing it is going to sound different, but the core underlying product I can be developing for this horizontal use case of people who are at work who have this particular problem of trying to, of trying to collect software. So that, that, that idea, I felt like was a breakthrough for me of uh, I've struggled so much with not liking the idea of just arbitrarily picking a, a vertical and focusing on a on a, on a horizontal vertical uh clicked for me and uh yeah yeah what, what, what are your thoughts on that yeah i think that all sounds good um th there's one thing i heard you say which is kind of a, just a very subset of what you said which is um something like your users have users who are not tech savvy or mm -hmm. something like that um whenever i think about niching down like this i would avoid saying things that are like could be perceived as a slight against anyone hmm. instead you could say something like you know without all the hassle of more complicated solutions or whatever you know like yes. make it turn turn anything negative into a positive um but otherwise yeah that's that sounds great just make sure every 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 way that you niche down is positive and uh yeah that sounds good i hear that and for sure there's going to be a filter for me like when actually writing copy for a landing page and I feel like in most, I've only done five of these mom test style interviews so far. And I feel like in most of them, 
there is a very negative sentiment towards <laughs> like like the, people feel really frustrated that that the people they're trying to get files from are stupid <laughs> and that's like those are the, they're not saying the word stupid but that's that's the sentiment yeah. that i'm that i'm getting from them um so, so that may be but when those people then go look at file inbox and it says you know yes. your stupid users can't figure out how to right, open files right <laughs> then they're not going to want to use it either yes so uh yeah, yeah. so at that's, the, that's at the level I mean. of like writing it down i do want to be reframing it in more positive ways i think that's very good feedback yeah. uh yeah <laughs> but but i like that language that and that framing is coming from the people who i'm talking to like there is yeah, there sure. is this sort of disdain and frustration particularly the professor to his students actually um not not unfairly so not not necessarily more than anyone else i talk to but uh yeah yeah noted i that that i would there's also there's sort of an aside but almost certainly the students aren't technically illiterate or anything they just have other stuff they're they care about like they just want to do yeah. the minimum possible thing to get the the file uploaded so that it can be graded or whatever. Yeah, for sure. That's all they care about. Yeah. And so that's an interesting way to frame it for your feature set too. Like that, that's kind of like imagine your user is drunk and then make it so they can't do it the, the wrong thing. Yes. Um. Yeah. Kind of same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a more positive framing. Make it make it as easy as possible so that your the people so that your uploaders don't have to think. So that yeah. without without thinking you you're sure that everyone's going to do it the correct way. Yeah. Yeah um cool next thing i found myself writing this really long blog post about firebase and my mm. initial motivation for doing this was just to have my own internal notes of how firebase stuff worked we talked about this forever ago but like uh i, th I think in the context of you teaching yourself linear algebra that keeping yeah. working notes of learning things is is valuable not just for me but now that it's on the internet, uh, it could potentially benefit other people. So this Firebase article started like that. And now it's becoming this article that in in the first part is justifying my rationale for why I feel like Firebase is the best way for me to develop apps. And then in the second part is like the, the, the only parts of Firebase that you should care about. Also without the framing from the official documentation that's more corporate -y, like they can't really say anything bad about it i have no qualms mm -hmm. trashing the parts of firebase that i think are bad um right. so I, I feel like i'm able to say things much more succinctly and tell you what the good ways are of do, doing things and yeah i i think I, i've found myself in writing this article writing it for you you know how when you write things you're supposed to frame it as like you're writing it for a particular person I think yeah. I'm writing it for you. I think I'm, I'm writing it for someone who like might know about the existence of Firebase, but you, you haven't tried it and you have your traditional way of doing things. That's more of a like rails stack or, or something like that. Um, Laravel becoming much more popular. So yeah, I, I, I think I'd just like to chat for you a little bit about my current thesis of, of like why I think Firebase is a great platform to be developing apps on and, I'd like to hear your objections and questions you'd like to see answered in cool. Firebase. Okay. So high level, I have three reasons that I think make Firebase the most compelling platform to use, three advantages of using it this way, and then three we'll disadvantages. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Start with, uh, so you said you want to write it for people like me. Mm -hmm. What is your intention? Do you want to make me a convert? Do you want to just inform me what's going on? Do you... What, what's your higher level goal? I'd like to introduce you to f you, the possibility that you could use Firebase as an alternative platform for developing stuff. I'd, I'd like for you to be aware that it exists and consider it for future things that you build. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Um, okay, high level advantages to using Firebase. Ongoing maintenance is effectively zero. The the A huge pain point that I've had of the traditional way of maintaining Rails apps, particularly the way I'm doing it, trying to minimize costs. I, I buy VPSs and I self-host them with Doku, which is like a, a self-hosted Roku. There's always something breaking. Like there's the heart bleed bug that I got to go in and manually upgrade all my servers or my Postgres database isn't automatically scaling. So I got to go in and change that or I got to do something to upgrade Rails and it's a major security vulnerability or you know, some SSL thing is broken. And there's none of that on Firebase. If I've built my app in a way that works, it's, it's Google's just going to make sure it continues to work and scale 
no matter what. Uh, that's that's the first point. Ongoing maintenance is effectively zero. That's especially beneficial to me as a solo developer. I don't have a whole team working on this. I like to be able to build stuff and just set it and forget it. And there are apps on Firebase that I've built that have been smoothly chugging along for years without me touching them. And that's not true of anything that I built on on any other stack. Second thing is my costs. Do you want, do, yeah, go do ahead. you want me to respond to these as you go? Please. Or yeah, if you, if, you, okay. if you got a response. Uh, my initial thought is I've effectively, effectively solved this with Heroku because mm. I just pay them and things work. I've had apps on there which has worked for years. So saying something has worked for years may or may not be that interesting. Uh, what I'm more interested in is you say ongoing maintenance. What about security updates and stuff like that? So like if I have to update Rails, mm. like you had to recently, like that's a kind of major issue. Also, if you say ongoing maintenance is effectively zero, I basically don't believe that. Mm. Like I... I like there are going to be updates to the API and I'm going to have to do something mm -hmm. like, like that's, that's just going to happen over years, especially with, you know, like, yeah, APIs don't stay stable for years and years, mm -hmm. um, with no changes. So maybe a little more nuanced there. Like, what do you mean by effectively zero maintenance? What about security updates? Mm. Stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. That's good feedback. I could talk specifically about security updates, like comparing the, um, the rails upgrade process, which is painful. Yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah I, I believe you that it's less work but um i don't believe that it's no work yeah yeah for sure okay okay um cool i can go to more nuance there um okay second point my costs are way down instead of uh, uh certainly when compared to heroku uh when i was on heroku like uh to to get my app to any reasonable speed i needed like multiple dynos and backend dynos and uh, I'm, I'm paying for it to exist the whole time and there is some auto scaling i can do there but you know it, it was like a minimum of i think i don't know a hundred dollars a month uh for an app of, of any reasonable size versus on firebase because everything is scalable you get build in units of like 100 milliseconds of execution or for the database you get build fractions of fractions of fractions of a penny for each read and write that you do the the cost of throwing up a side project is free and then as soon as it gets any sort of meaningful usage it costs almost nothing um if you get to the point where projects start costing any sort of meaningful amount like 10 or 20 dollars a month that's a that's a huge amount of scale that basically has created this environment where i don't really care about the cost of infrastructure um because it's it's it, it scales perfectly smoothly with the amount of usage and if if i'm building anything that is making me money in any way the the cost is effectively negligible um that's point number two uh yeah i mean that's certainly interesting everyone loves keeping costs down a couple things i would like to hear more about or might make him might drive the point home more is where does this break down so s there's certainly some apps like i'm thinking like you know real time i, I used to do real-time location tracking for iv pumps right so mm -hmm. you have 10 hertz updates for a thousand different things that's a lot of rights mm. to a database uh does it does the cost you know swing wildly uh higher that way um the other thing in terms of costs that i think people are scared of with auto scaling things is accidentally getting a bill for like a thousand dollars yep um so how can you prevent that stuff like that that's um that's a yep. point i'm about to cover under disadvantages <laughs> excellent yes <laughs> Um, but before that, uh, point number three in advantages is that I feel like I can build much more complicated things because this is all one integrated platform, things like a, a system for sending templated email or, uh, integrating Stripe for, uh, that's a better example. The, like integrating Stripe for subscription billing in Rails, I, I had to read a book about it. Granted, I did this in 2013. I'm, I'm not sure if there's an easier way now, but um, the process for integrating subscription-based billing from Stripe on Firebase literally takes 10 minutes. It's you, you hook up some API endpoints. The hardest part of it is like within Stripe, you got to select specifically which webhooks you're trying to send. But on the Firebase end of it, it's an extension that just works and it, and it knows where your users are and it knows where to, to write documents to that's not something i've seen on on any other platform because they're because it's a platform as a service they're able to write abstractions at the level of like the production integrating with other apis scaling at that level it, it makes stuff at that level so much easier other stuff at that level is like third-party oauth integrations they, they make it so that you know to, to add google oauth integrations is a click and now people can log into your app with uh with google and it, it yeah they, they have they have 
specifically with React plugins where, you know, to because the front end supports all the different types of OAuth logins and the back end does and the database layer does, you can literally, if you want to add Facebook logins, you, you just enable it in the front end and you change one line of code that says, oh, also add for OAuth logins that Facebook is another option. Now you have Facebook uh, as an OAuth login. And that's like, I, I for Rails, things like Devise exist, but it's, it's a lot more nuanced than just a single click to uh, add those sorts of integrations. So that's my, uh, that's my third point. Um, it's, it enables you to build much, much more complicated things. Oh, one other point on that is things like real time updates. I remember that being really hard in rails. Like you sort of have to bend your mind around the action cable stuff and you got to be thinking much more about, well, okay, this specific part of my app needs to live update. And so there, here's how I'm going to do the messaging. And you, you just get that completely for free, uh, with Firebase. Cool. Um, I like the very specific examples. I think most people at some point have had to do either billing or OAuth or, you know, things like that, uh, that can be very complicated. So yeah, I like those specific points. My one question is sure. Once you know everything, it's very quick, but what's the ramp up time to get there? Um, if the ramp up time is a few months, then, you know, I might as well just spend the two days, you know, putting billing in my old app. Sure. Um, so yeah, what's the, what's the ramp up time in order to get very quick at those things? There, especially for someone like you who already has apps on rails, like it, the, the, it's a significant cost to change the platform that you're on. Like for right. me to get here required me completely rewriting my entire app, right? Uh, like you, you have to write this with, with Firebase in mind. It's not like you can just swap out the database you're using. You, you really have to rebuild it from scratch. So yeah, the cost in that respect is significant. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. I need to think about that more. Uh, let's talk about disadvantages. The, right. the shining disadvantage is vendor lock-in. Hmm. Google in particular is infamous for shutting down services. They recently did this with Google domains, which I don't, I haven't even looked into what the implications of that are for me. Most of my domains are owned on Google domains. That sucks. It, it means you're now a Squarespace customer. That's what it means. Okay. Is that it? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Like the cost is going to be the same. I, I imagine I'm going like to log I, in. That I have place. no idea, but okay. I know they basically sold off that part. To, I, th I think it was Squarespace, right? I'm, I'm not, am I wrong about that? I don't remember. I think that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. All I right, basically well. sold off that whole thing. Okay. Um, Firebase is not open source. So in the event that Google decides, you know what? Everything costs a thousand times more and you have seven days to, to uh, make a change. Like I'm going to be screwed. Uh, right. I'm, I'm dependent on and trusting Google who has demonstrated that they're untrustworthy. And that's a, that's a significant risk. Um, my vague backup plan is to use a similar service, something like Supabase, which is, uh, they're, they're funded by Y Combinator and they're, they're specifically trying to be an open source Firebase alternative. Mm. Uh, but the cost of switching is not going to be nothing. Like there, there's other assumptions. There's other setup. There's the, the, the Supabase platform works in a, in a different way than Firebase does. It's not going to be just like, ah, <laughs> swap out this one file. And now you're using Supabase instead of Firebase. There's, there's significant work that would need to happen to, to swap that out. Uh, that is disadvantage number one. Yeah, that's a big disadvantage. Um, the other ones, like there are other companies like Netlify and Vercel both have backend functions, which are sort of similar to Firebase functions. Slightly, not as well integrated, I think, but so you can list the alternatives there, but um, yeah, I, it's a major disadvantage. Yeah. Cool. I, I, I also thought just like Doku is sort of a self-hosted Heroku, I thought there was sort of a self-hosted Firebase. Maybe Supabase is the one I'm thinking of, but I thought there was a project trying to be basically a self-hosted Firebase. You're probably thinking of Supabase. Yeah. In the early okay. days of Firebase, uh, there was there was Firebase and there was another technology called Parse, P-A-R-S-E. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was also open sourced. Um, so, and then that one shut down. So the, for a while there were like self-hosted versions of parse that uh because you know when they shut down they, they open source all their stuff yeah. so uh that that hasn't happened for firebase but uh yeah there's, okay yeah that, that's the first disadvantage. Okay. um second disadvantage is that firestore as a database is severely limited it is a nosql document-based uh uh database which is incredibly flexible and incredibly powerful but it has these weird limitations like you can only query on two attributes at a time and if you're trying to like, and, and if you want to sort by an attribute, that has to be one of the attributes that one of those two attributes that you're querying against. Um, you, you kind of have to rethink 
especially if, if you're coming from Postgres uh, and you're also making the transition to a NoSQL database, there, there's, there's limitations where you kind of have to architect your app with Firestore in mind. You have to, you have to be preemptively thinking like, okay, how am I going to be querying this data um, to be able to build your app that in, in, in a way that is going to be supported by Firebase. That's disadvantage number two. That makes sense. Just like before you had some specific examples of features that were easy to add, maybe have specific examples of like where, you know, struct like SQL breaks down when switching to Firestore. So like maybe there's some common example of date filtering or something that's particularly hard, or I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a few examples of common things that are particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. Full text search comes to mind. That's something that's particularly mm -hmm. difficult. Although now there's it's hard, extensions it's for hard that. on SQL too. Mm -hmm. That is hard on SQL also. Um, it's okay. No, it's easy, but it's hard to do in a performant way. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah one of the one of the that's that's another pro of this actually. Like all of the solutions for Firebase based solutions all assume that you need to do this in a performant way. So the hmm. the full text search solutions for Firebase are all very scalable and they're all roughly of the format, you know, tell us the, the document and the attribute that you want to do the full text search on and then send that to a third party service that can scale with you. Um, like uh, Al Algolia, I think is one of them. And then- Yeah, which is expensive. Which That's is expensive, another... yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's there's other ways that you can do that. You can do like uh, Elasticsearch, I think is one of them and you can host that on AWS or something else. But yeah, okay, okay. I'll include more specific examples there. Uh, last one that I alluded to earlier, there's a danger of a gigantic bill. There are these horror stories of developers that have put their app up on Firebase and then they get like a $10,000 bill that they're racked up in like two days. It, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no like standard automated way to put a kill switch in along the lines of, hey, if I have spent more than $500 this month, shut everything down. You can't do that. But what you can do hmm. is send yourself billing alerts at, at certain percentages of what you think your predicted billing is going to be. So in writing this article, I realized that I hadn't done a very good job of like setting up those automated alerts for myself. And so I pulled up Firebase and was like walking through the way to set up those automated alerts. And I, I saw that for, uh, I think it was like three or four months ago, my bill was like two and a half times higher than it should have been. And I didn't realize it. <laughs> and so that was kind of uh -huh. spooky. Yeah. So, and I think it had, to, I, I still don't know what it was, but I, I think it was one of my apps had some sort of a runaway function where it was doing a bunch of stuff it shouldn't have been doing. I don't know why. Um, but that was sort of wake up call of like, okay, what, what should this system be? And so I, I talked through this in the article of like specifically how to set up these alerts. And, uh, I changed it now so that the alerts go directly to my Apple watch and they also get CC'd to Sarah, my wife, and my assistant. And I'm going to have conversations with both of them of like, hey, if you start seeing emails coming to you like every 10 <laughs> minutes that say, hey, you know, 110% of your billing threshold has been crossed, 120% of your billing threshold has crossed, 130% of your billing, like <laughs> you need to get in contact with me. And I would right. love to have for each of them, like if I'm in a coma and I can't, and you, you haven't had the conversation with me, uh, if, if I'm in Iceland and I don't have uh, a cell reception, uh, here is a place where you can go. That's the kill switch where you go to yeah. this website and you, you press this button, press this button, and then you confirm it eight times. And then that's going to shut down everything on Google that I have access to. That's, that's the, the system that I'd like, but yeah, that is, that is scary with any sort of serverless thing that can infinitely scale. Yeah. So this is this is one of the bigger cons in my mind because yeah i'm about to go to iceland as far as i know i only get internet when i get to the hotel every night yeah <laughs> uh and there's basically nothing in between um so yeah it, what happens if i'm just gone for a day and it i have some you know uh runaway function yeah also scary that you can't auto shut down i mean that seems crazy also if you write some infinite function during development you just may have some random thing mm. and like by the time you get the email that you have 100 percent billing if it's an infinitely recursive function like maybe you're already at a thousand dollars like yeah i would i would for sure want to see more if not automated at least fail safe ways that to mitigate this issue yeah i just had the idea that i could build a SaaS. <laughs> that because you've done because you've had the idea i'm sure someone else has too so i oh be yeah yeah <laughs> i haven't actually looked for any of those yeah but the thing that i would want is to be able to just plug it in like you know, third-party billing alerts that will automatically yeah. shut down everything when it crosses a, th a certain threshold. Yeah. And I would set that threshold to be high, 
the argument that Google gives yeah. that's a little bit of baloney is like, well, what if you're on the front page of the New York Times and you're you're you know, you get a whole bunch of users all at the same time. Uh, and I get that, but yeah, I think I think the service I would want is I would want to be able to set up okay for these thresholds. Uh, notify me and notify me in every way that I can possibly be notified and have these other people as backups to notify. And if I don't respond, yes, keep everything online. Default to in whatever, half an hour, whatever threshold I set to just shut everything off. Uh, specifically, if it can be more specific, if it can shut down only the things that are having those runaway functions, if it can be more specific of like, okay, it's it's this function in particular that's running up all your billing, let's just shut down that function. Um, yeah. yeah, that's the product I would want. It would also be great if, like, if you're on the front page of the New York Times, you could detect that with traffic. And like, if you have lots of traffic coming from lots of different people, either you're being DDoS, in which case, I don't know, set up Cloudflare or something, but, right. uh, or, you know, you're getting tons of users. In that case, fine, you know, spend $1,000 to get a million users, fine. Right. Uh, but if it's some, if it's one function I wrote that's calling itself forever, right. then yeah, shut that down right away. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Cool. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. I, that was, that was very good feedback. Uh, I feel like I can, I can make a much better article now. Cool. Um, that's all on Firebase. I will uh, update you as I continue writing the article. I, cool. uh, I think I just have one more thing I want to talk about, which is a project I'm calling Dad Hobbies. Uh, I, I feel very envious that my wife has this in-person group that she's able to socialize with. Uh, it's, it's a bunch of friends that she does gymnastics with. Uh, and it, it's like, it's a, it's a group of women who she is in a similar life stage with that she shares a lot in common with. And I'd, I'd like that for me. Like they go out and do stuff and they watch gymnastics movies together. And, uh, I don't, I don't have that sort of in-person network. I have a lot of internet friends but I don't have people who I go and like, we regularly do this thing and it's it's a little physical. So I'm getting exercise at a baseline. So I'm experimenting now with three different possible ways that I could do that. Uh, the first is biking. I really enjoy riding bicycles. I'm thinking, uh, you know, that that's just a thing I'd like to be doing more at a baseline. It's a good way to uh, commute in the city. A lot of times I can get places faster biking than I can while driving. Um, I don't know what a social group for biking looks like though, but I think regardless, I want to get a bicycle and I'm curious what, uh, uh, bicycling groups might look like locally. Um, the second thing is golf. I found out about the, I, I played golf recently in New York with my uncles and I realized I love it. It's like, it's really fun. And it's, it's meditative and it's physical and it's this, this technique. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And so I went to a golf store this weekend and found out about, I think called the golf team that you can just join. You like Google and search and they'll email you and say, Hey, we're all going to go to this golf course that's local. And if you want to join, uh, pay us this amount of money, which is some discounted rate from what they would usually charge. And then you'll have people within our team that you can go golf with. And then the third thing is, uh, Sarah got me a compound bow for Christmas that I hadn't used until yesterday. And I found, uh, a really great, like specialized bow, uh, shop that adjusted it and, and gave me a bunch of stuff that I need for it. And uh, that was super fun. And I, I was able to hit a target 20 yards away, which I didn't realize I was able to do. Uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, I think there's like competitions and other social things there. So of those three, I think golf probably has the highest chance of being a good method of socialization, but uh, it's an ongoing project for me of trying to figure out what are some dad hobbies I could do where I can be uh, uh, connecting with other people in the same sort of way and with the, with the same sort of network that my wife has with gymnastics cool yeah very interested to hear updates on that uh yeah I try them all see what sticks that's what it, yeah i think any basically any hobby any activity i think can be a social one mm -hmm. if you find the right group of people so um like golf has the advantage where you're on a course for two or four hours or whatever depending and so like you're sort of forced to talk to people and so maybe that's good in this situation mm -hmm. but the other two i think could be all you know as well I, when i first was doing the meeting place um or just meeting place uh not the uh cycling and running groups and hiking groups were very big mm. like i think i got on some list and so a lot of them signed up um and those all seemed like you know they would go they would cycle for an hour and then they would you know meet at a bar afterwards or something and and that's that was like yeah they did that every saturday or something um so yeah, I think I think 
any of those activities sound like they could be good social activities cool i'll check out uh some cycling groups on meetingplace.com see if there's any in dallas yeah uh, any uh, any activity can be a social you activity. could but meeting place shut down if you if you <laughs> oh that's right that's right Ch- check out meetup okay i'll check out <laughs> i'll check out meetup um yeah i any any activity can be a social activity i like that so just anything i want to be doing i think i want to be looking at it with a framing of how could i be doing this with other people who also want to be doing this thing like when i got my 3d printer i treated that mostly as a solitary activity of just like ah i'm having fun with my toys and i think it would have been more fun if i'd been connected to a network of other people doing similar things yeah even 3d printing like here in indianapolis there's a group kind of far from me so i'm not part of it but like they have a place where people bring their 3d printers and stuff they also have like a full metal shop and a full uh, like a wood shop Mm -hmm. and uh they yeah they go there on saturday and like build projects and stuff so even something that is a a solitary activity can be social in that way yeah cool um a few really really tiny updates uh to close off my weight is still at 183 which is exactly what it was last week so i think i need to be a little more serious about like upping exercise uh more caloric restriction my uh private chef rotating group thing is going really well i really like I, i'm getting it more systematized of how i organize the recipes and how i have chat gpt uh summarize it for me to to make those and yeah that's, that's been going really well and then I'm also experimenting with working at coffee shops, which are like really cheap co-working spaces. Um, I, I find it's very focusing and it's also just a fun change of scenery to go out. And I feel like there's there's a subtle social pressure of like, oh, everyone here is working and doing stuff. So I guess I should do that too. Uh, there, there were, while I was working there this morning, there were like a dozen different instances where I felt the sort of itch of like, oh, let me get up and, and go take a break or something. And I didn't do that because of just the extra little added friction of that I'm not at home. So it's it's harder to do that. Um, so I just kept working and got a lot more done on the work I was trying to do. So yeah, that was fun. Uh, those are my updates from this last week. Cool. Sounds like things are going well. Um, be, yeah, I'd be interested to hear that because coffee shops can be another place where you can meet people. So True. Uh, yeah, if you go to essentially a co-working space and you see the same people over and over then that might be something interesting yeah yeah yeah. um i just did a bunch of research about weight plateauing uh my weight has also plateaued but i know why it's because we had pizza twice and uh then i yeah went out on saturday so uh (laughs) but if if you want some uh uh some advice about what to do with a weight plateau i'm i'm happy to share resources oh yeah what do i do do you have a summarized thing if i should be doing anything differently uh there there are there are things that have been shown clinically to help so there's certain spices things like apple cider vinegar which sounds totally uh, made up hmm. but apple cider vinegar before a meal blunts the blood sugar spike seems to help um also it's gross and so people tend to eat less after <laughs> drinking it so there's that um the, the the other one that actually is big if you can remember to do it it's really helpful is uh just have two glasses of water before a meal mm. it just makes you eat less mm. because you fill up with the water um stuff like that cool okay I'll try that. I used to do apple cider vinegar shots for health because my mom read a book about that it's this miracle drug that just makes everything better. <laughs> that, that's probably not true, but yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it, apple cider it vinegar. It has been clinically shown to help uh, drop weight. Okay. Um, I would say don't take it as a shot because you can actually chemically burn the inside of your esophagus. Oh, okay. Uh, so mix, mix it with water and then take it. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Noted. <laughs> oh. or, or tea. I, I, I had it in tea. So like a teaspoon or two in, in tea yeah. it actually kind of tastes good um you can also have it like on a salad just it doesn't have to be apple cider vinegar either any vinegar it's the acetic acid okay. that matters do you mix so. it with honey or sugar or anything or just the, the apple cider vinegar for the tea I, I have a hibiscus tea that has like blueberry blueberries in it so it's it's not sweet but it's in that vein anyway mm. and so the at the vinegar with it actually it it doesn't say awesome mm. but it does satisfy the uh sort of itch i have for uh really acidic coke mm. like that does the same thing to my mouth so it's kind of like a, a fruity coke in that way cool notice yeah you can also if if you like salads we found a one of those fancy olive oil places near us that also sells vinegar mm. and if you get a really good balsamic we have a, like a fig balsamic that we bought you don't need any oil it like we just use the vinegar for the salad dressing mm. so it's the vinegar so it's the acetic acid and it's super low calorie because it's just vinegar mm. um and it actually tastes really good as salad dressing so you could do that too and it's just all forms of vinegar the acetic acid is the the core thing that's mm-hmm. important 
I'm, yep. I'm realizing I don't think I have any vinegar in my diet right now. I don't think there's any... Like, I didn't do any meal prepping with vinegar. I'm not putting vinegar on any sorts of salad. Okay, yeah, I'd like to... Vinegar can also really help if you're trying to lower your salt. Um, I'm not because my blood pressure is fine, but if you have high blood pressure and you want to lower salt, mm -hmm. you can basically add either vinegar or um, or citric acid, so lemon juice, lime juice, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. It does the same thing to your tongue that salt does. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a salt-free way to get more flavor. Oh, I forgot lemon juice was a form of acetic acid. I am having a lot of lemon no, juice. No, no, no. Lemon juice is citric acid. Citric so acid. Okay. They actually compared acetic acid to citric acid, mm. and the acetic acid helped, and the citric acid didn't help. Interesting, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Notice. I'd like to introduce more vinegar in my diet. That sounds like it'd be a, an improvement. Cool. Chris, that's all I got. Cool. That's all I got, dude. Then I... Oh, let me... My stop button's not ready. There we go. <laughs> then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.